Welcome back, everyone, to Articast number 75, second episode of 2023. It's exciting times. Obviously, new sponsor on board, as you've seen, with Aplan Rural. Also, the Scottish farmer still uh, still supporting the podcast. Last week, we had Luke Ablett uh, down on Daintree Farm, or farmer Luke, who likes to sort of promote farming in schools and, and push that sort of narrative down in England. So a, a good story there. Next week, we have a, a nursery farmer, or like a farmer the word a horticulturist shall we say a flower farmer which is really fun and i'm going to have no idea what i'm talking about which you'll see uh, soon enough and hopefully i'm filming this a wee bit in advance but hopefully on monday we should have a group podcast ready to go as well because there should be now a group podcast every second monday alongside the, uh, the friday releases with individuals or sometimes two people but today um we have got i've been told not to say interesting because she's put herself down hugely but it's going to be a very interesting guest and the reason uh, it's going to be interesting is this person's seen most of the planet <laughs> I had a very large chunk of a very large chunk of the planet um Rachel Stratton or Rach Stratton I should say would you like to say hello hi there <laughs> just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast I would like to thank our primary sponsors A Plan Rural A Plan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Aplan Rural for that. <laughs> so very much looking forward to this one. Uh, you can't quite see uh, in Rachel's background there because uh, just the way the light is in the window, but the view out of there is amazing. I will put the photo up if you're listening on YouTube because I did take a wee screenshot, even though Rachel doesn't know that. Um, oh, unless she doesn't want me to. Of <laughs> 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 um, what was I going to say? There was something really important to say. Yes, if you want to check out Rachel's story, she has an Instagram. Is it The Global, Global Farm? Yeah, Hub? it's new. Uh, yeah, yes. it's called The Global Farm Her. And I've also got a new website, which is very fresh. So maybe give it a month before people have a look. But um, yeah, it's in progress. We'll work on it. Well, I had a quick glance at it. It looks really good. Um, yeah, I'm sure you've got a lot of stories to put on there. And you have been telling me a few over the last day. So I'm quite looking, quite looking forward to this episode and, and sharing, some <laughs> with them, sharing some of them with everyone. Uh, but could you tell us, um, when you were younger, uh, it feels weird saying Rach when I don't know you that well. When you were oh, younger, Rach, <laughs> uh, was farming always for you? Was that something you were always interested in? Um, well, interestingly enough, I grew up in a town, very central, uh, in a block of houses. Um, I'm detached, but still it was a crescent. And uh, my dad worked in an office and it was, I would say, quite a normal towny upbringing. Um, he works as a chartered surveyor um, and in site acquisition. So um from his previous days he went to um the rural agricultural college um and things like that um and uh, he was a steward at the royal show once was at stoneley um and he was for sharon and cows and as he was walking the lines with me when i was a small child he recognized some of the people he had worked with years prior and i think it was a bit of glorified childcare. um he kind of ditched them with me and that happened to be Annie Perkins of Thistlefold Highlands. 
And mm-hmm. uh, my first winning uh, rosette that I've got in storage, I've got a big box, um, was from 2003 Royal Show. So I would have been four. Um, and it's I like to say, if you've got a cute kid and a cute calf, you do well at the shows. Yes. Uh, so I've got loads of pictures helping other people, leading calves around. Don't know their names, can't recognise who they are, but I was just the token child for calf leading. And when you stop being cute, you start being useful. So uh, <laughs> I then was useful for a few years on the show circuit. And unfortunately, the Royal shut down in 2009. Uh, and I went and did the three counties and I was very thrilled to come back uh, from Italy this summer and go and help Annie at the Royal Welsh where she got breed champion cow and calf so all her hard work was amazing to be part of it of course and to see it finally come through after all these years of helping her that was amazing but unfortunately Annie lived quite far away so I was struggling to get out there it was uh, trying to get someone to drive me it was tough so um my next farm that I kind of really got involved in was not so far from the town and uh I was in a trumpet lesson this is a bizarre story but um yeah long-winded I have, I I have a feeling trumpet. there's going to be some bizarre stories in this I have a feeling that's going to be yeah I, I go off on a tangent I'm really I'm known for it um but I went in to have a trumpet lesson I was playing the trumpet growing up and I said to the teacher I'm sorry I'm not going to be in next week so you know don't worry about a lesson and he said oh why's that and I said oh I've got the week off school to go to the three county show I'm showing Highland Cows and he was an excellent teacher his name's Dylan and he plays in gigs he's awesome um and anyway he was like oh uh my my partner's got a farm uh it, interesting you say that and it was like oh really I'd, I'd love to get involved and it turns out that it was only 10 minutes from this town that I grew up in so I went to go and help out in Lamming and uh, I've got some fantastic memories that was with Diana Hadley of Meat Matters Farm Shop and I used to cycle there to go work on the farm and if it was dark she'd throw the bike in the Land Rover and drop me home or I'd have to cycle back home and I got paid in meat from the farm shop which I'd then sell to the neighbours in the town and that would give me a bit of cash. So that was awesome. And uh, yeah, Di is someone that I go back and see often enough too. Um, and uh, that's really what got me into it. And Di taught me so much about sheep and cows. It was a dairy farm converted into sheep. Um, and through her, I went to market, the abattoir, and met other people that then gave me work when I was a bit more older and useful, <laughs> you could say. So that's really how I got started. And then I started going overseas um, and doing other bits and bobs. But uh, yeah, it, it's completely, a lot of people, um, obviously there's a bit of a shame in the farming culture to be a townie. So I'll keep it on the download. Don't normally tell people that story. It's uh, it's funny you say other bits and bobs. I mean, for those of you listening, we'll get into those other bits and bobs. There was a lot of bits and bobs that you've done around <laughs> the farm, farming wise, which we will get into. Um, but it, do you think that's the case about there being a shame around being a townie or do you think that's just a bit of crack we have or do you really think that is the case? Well, it's it's hard. I'm known and, um, well, I know that it's something I need to work on. Is I, I constantly find that I need to prove myself to people uh, when I meet them, whether it's through work or female or farming or whatever it is. And it's a bit of a contrast because I still have a lot of, towny friends so to say um and farming can be a bit of a shame to be involved in that and over the years it's I've kind of culled out certain friendship groups to say 
Um, but it, it's interesting how other communities would treat the other, like in the tanny aspect, you are kind of looked down upon, oh, you're a farm, you're just covered in shit all day. Um, and then in the farming side, it's like, oh, these townies know nothing. Um, and it's it's really hard to bridge the divide. And I think that's really what I'm enjoying with this blog and connecting with people is actually trying to explain that there's bits of both in all of us um, and connecting the two and also educating those because it, it's very easy, especially with this whole vegan movement and hunt saboteurs as well. Um, I like to say that a little knowledge is dangerous. And it basically means when people only know a little, not the full story, then it's easy to make assumptions. And then that's where you get this anti-movement and frustrations evolve. Um, and, and vice versa with farming, you know, these farmers that slate townies all the time, I'm, I'll make a bit of crack about it. Like you say, it's it's easy to, but um, I think if we try to take the time to educate, as you say, other people going into schools, social media, these guys are fantastic and just spreading the message of we are people and yeah, we actually have a shower sometimes. We're not always covered in shit um, and things like that. So it's, yeah, finding a balance. Uh, yeah. And I think there's always going to be that sort of two sides, isn't there? But I think it's like you said, like that little knowledge is dangerous. It's a really good saying actually, because we, we sort of from our side think vegans are just shouting loud and whatever. And the truth is it's a very small percentage of them that shout louder. And I've said this many a time in front of a lot of farmers and been shot down quite notably, but it is the case. There's people on our side that do the exact same thing. You know, mm. the, the sort of shouting louder than they really have to somewhat making a fool of themselves in some ways. But yeah, it shouldn't be a, I don't like the word towny. Like it shouldn't be a divide. It should just be. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, I, I guess it's one of those things that you grow up with. Um, and it, it's just English sayings. Um, and and it's, to be fair, it's the same in New Zealand. But in every country I've been to, there is still a divide, um, you know, especially even in Europe. It's like, oh, agriculture. Um, the most we do in agriculture is buy it from the shop. Um, and it, it's a very ignorant mindset to have. Uh, and I think that the next five years even is going to be really interesting with food um where it comes from and how we get it uh there's it seems like wherever you go the government is against you uh when it comes to producing food to feed the nation and unfortunately the way governments tend to be is they like to react rather than act in advance and soon there's gonna i i hope but soon there's gonna be a twist in um i'm not quite sure on the word of it but um, there's going to be a twist in how we think about farmers. Um, I really hope because yeah. it just needs to be there's such a lack of respect, but mainly a lack of understanding um, and not just the UK, everywhere. So it'll be interesting. Do you think COVID did a lot for that? Because I think COVID painted farmers in a really positive light. Yes and no. Uh, okay. Despite COVID, we still had a lot of food imports. Um, and yes, it gave people a lot more time at home to kind of go, oh, where can we buy our food? Let's, you know, we've got time to sit down and think about things a lot more. So we'll start shopping locally. Since COVID, have people kept going to the farm shops? Some, you know, a percentage have, but a lot yeah. of people have reverted back to the supermarkets. Um, it, it's a tricky one. It's it's one of those things that will come up and go down. Um I think COVID was positive for farmers. We can say that, but in the same aspect, no farmers got furloughed. And if a farmer had COVID, they still had to milk their cows. They still had to get up. Um, and I don't think many people understand that. 
even now. So it's, yeah, tricky. No, good point. Good point. Um, so you moved from being, as you said, the cute child until you had to be <laughs> useful and you find yourself doing a lambing. Was, were you hitched after that lambing or? Uh, sorry, or, what did you say? Were, were you like, were you, were you hitched and farming by the time you'd done that lambing or were you already there? I think I was 12 and I, I was hitched. Oh, right, in, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was hitched in the, in the Highland Cows at that point. It was the highlight of my year going to do these shows. Um, and uh, I got, you know, school or something like that. And I actually bullied a bit for my love of cows. Um, yeah. Doing? Yeah. It was like, it was the days of MSN and people would come up and ask me about my cows. And I'd be so thrilled that people were interested. And I knew all the bloodlines. And then a girl, I'll never forget this, it was an all girls grammar school. So I like to call it AKA Bitch Training Academy. Um, but that was just that. Um, and a girl came up to me and she was like, Rachel, this is what they're saying about you online. Obviously, it was a photo of the computer because we didn't have <laughs> phone yeah. messages so yeah, much yeah. then. It cost too much. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember then being distraught because these people seemed genuinely interested but then they were just going and laughing about it. And the thing I remember being most upset on is they hadn't even remembered what I told them and they were getting the bloodlines mixed up. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it's wrong anyway. Um, so I was, I was hooked and I was very defensive of farmers from then on, I think. And it just this didn't help this rural um, kind of city divide but in my mind. Um, and then when I got the opportunity to go lambing, it was just absolutely fantastic because Di being the person she is, it's no, it doesn't matter how small you are, big, she's got lots of vet students, so she's brilliant now, um, not so much then, but it was a case of we just get on and do the job. And if, you know, if something needs help lambing, you get your hands in there and you pull it out. Um, and she was absolutely brilliant in, there was none of this, uh, stereotypes it didn't matter that I was a kid from a town you get stuck in and thrown into it um and even you know introducing me to people it was oh yeah this is Rach there was none of the she's a kid and for sure you yeah. know it's separation so she was fantastic for even my confidence at that age um and uh, she remains a very good friend of mine and Esther Dylan. So that kind of got me hooked. And then I started doing a bit more casual work as I got a bit older, catching the bus to places uh, from the town, doing lambings, helping people with drenching. Um, and in the UK, I remember uh, helping out someone at shearing time. And um, we were sat around a table having a cup of tea, as you do in the mornings. It's quite relaxed. Go around, have a cup of tea with someone. Um, and I said, oh, I would actually, next time we're shearing, I'd really like to have a go. And the old farmer that was we were at said, you can't shear, you're a girl. And I just Ooh. went, okay. And I didn't say anything at the time. I just banked it in my head. And then when I went to New Zealand, I had it in my mind that I have to learn how to shear a sheep. That is the goal. Um, and interestingly enough, I maybe did nine days shearing in the two days, that, two years that I was there. Um, but it was just enough to then get me work when uh, yeah, yeah. I needed it in the UK so yeah it's there's a few things I like I really like to be challenged um I get a bit of a kick out of it and not necessarily even addressing it at the time but just thinking about it and going okay that's that's the next thing on the list and uh, we'll have a crack at it after that so it's it's such an archaic opinion but it was one that obviously pushed you on to to learn it uh, yeah I, I mean I've got so many stories like it um that of where and I, funnily enough, it was used for me, but against me at the time when I was at school. 
I had a brilliant teacher who uh, almost parented me in many aspects. And I was desperate to leave the Spitz Training Academy, applied to 15 different sick forms. And she sat me down and, well, I was sat down, she was stood up. And in front of 30 people, she told me that I would never get the grades to go anywhere um, because I'd never be good enough and I'd be begging to be let into the school again. And I remember being so angry at her at the time. And we left the classroom, we were going, you okay, that was awful. But it kick-started me to then study. So I got, you know, A's in my GCSEs. And actually without her, she wouldn't, I wouldn't have done as well. So it was one of those where she knew what she was doing at the time. I thought she was just a bitch, but um, it worked out well for me in the long term. I mean, I think you're giving her a lot of credit there where she probably doesn't deserve it. But back in the uh, world, Looking back over the five years, she was actually brilliant to me. And that's why it was such a shock as well. Yeah. Because she, she'd been one of those that would take me aside and go, come on, let's sort you out here. So for that public embarrassment, I was livid at her. But I needed that anger to then... Yeah end up and I have seen her since actually I went back and said hi um and it, she was brilliant I don't think she realizes what she did for me but um it was yeah no and she deserves all the credit she gave so right, okay that's great it's, quite, it's, a, it's a really positive take on that experience in terms uh you know I could see myself taking that the other way but maybe I'm just a bit of a cynic but <laughs> no I, I I try to take um it's one of those things in life where people are like, you can't regret anything. And I like to change that and go, you can't regret anything as long as you learn from it. Yes, so any negative yes. experience, as long as you learn from it, it's a positive because you've, you've learned a lesson. And uh, oh, there's been some horrendous stuff happened, but I've learned from it. So uh, I hope that, you know, if it doesn't happen, I'd hope it wouldn't happen again. But if it does, I can at least change the outcome <laughs> later on. Um, so it's it, we try to. It doesn't always work out that way. I need a bit of time. Um, oh, since I left school, but it, it's true though what you say. Like, I don't think I, I totally agree with that. You shouldn't have no regrets, and let you know. I'm, I'm of the opinion I'm not going to regret something, but I'm going to make sure it was better next time. It's kind of like the I've spoken a few times, is taking a bit of a jump at the minute, but almost moving into sort of mental health side. There's this sort of idea it's okay to not be okay, and. I back that to the point that yes, but also with the intention of trying to find that okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't like the idea of normalising eternally not being okay, because that's a problem. Yeah. No, the mental health, I think it's almost been a bit too heavily uh, mentioned, and I might get a bit backlash for this, but it, it's still a fairly new thing, so we're all trying to figure it out, and I, I have complete respect for that. And yeah, we all have down days and it's about accepting that. But if you're in a long term of negativity, then you need something to break that. And just saying, oh, it's OK. It's OK. It's not going to help you get out of that rut. Um, and for me personally, whenever I've been down negative spirals, I need a sharp intervention, normally myself, to go snap out of it, wake up. Do you want this to be alive or not? Um, and it, that's where I kind of struggle with it. And it, it's also the, yeah, I'll talk to people if they're struggling and reach out. Definitely friends can contact me. But if you want to give me a call to bitch about the neighbor who's pissed you off again because he flashed you on the road or something like that, it, it's like, actually, your negativity is bringing me down. Uh, and we don't need that. So it, it's a catch 22 is to, oh, again, it's a balancing act. You've got to, be nice but firm <laughs> tough love it's such an unexpected example of the neighbour 
well, I've got to be careful what I say because if I use some examples, they'll know I'm talking about them. <laughs> One of those. It's, but you said you make the backlash. I completely agree with everything you said there. Completely. Uh, we can't normalise that idea. But it was kind of another example to explain something. A, a few minutes ago, Erich, you mentioned about this sort of, well, not a few minutes, you spoke about it a bit, the sort of, not urban-rural divide, but kind of, you know, that sort of farmy, not farmy divide. And uh, I'm just going to, mentioned the listeners and yourself if you're a reader of which I am not I must say uh, we had Anna Jones on let's really test my ability to remember what number podcast I believe episode number 30 Anna Jones came on to talk about the book she just released which is um, called Divide funnily enough uh, and it's, it's purely about that sort of rural urban divide uh, and it's something to do with the lack of mobility between the two in the sector I'm really trying to it's 48 episodes you're doing well you're doing well carry on i would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors a plan rural a plan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates the uk over and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years or a fancy new and exciting diversification but uh, you should check that out if, if you want to sort of look at someone that's really researched into it. Someone who's from a farm, who's worked in journalism, who's worked for the BBC, who's basically, basically done both sides completely. Uh, it's, it's quite a cool, quite a cool comparison. Um, but yeah, that was a bit, of a, a bit of a side plug. And I'm going to go back and check now, and it's probably not going to be episode 30, but I'm 99% sure it is. Um, you can edit, you've mentioned... you're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've just got to try and pretend, haven't you, that you're good at it. Uh, you mentioned New Zealand. Um, yeah. you've, been to, you've been to a few places, right? Let's, let's, well, you don't have to name them all if you can, but uh, where, where has farming taken you and why? I think this is also important to mention. So a lot of folk want to travel, uh, but find themselves, whatever reason not to, I guess you could probably put myself in that bracket, but I have a pretty good reason at the minute. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons not to, but why did you just decide I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to see what happens? <clears throat> Um, well, I, I mean, I, I guess I'll try the quick version uh, that I wrote to you on a huge paragraph uh, <laughs> was I knew that I wanted to travel and see places and learn. Um, I think that's the massive thing. I love to learn. Um, and the day of my last A-level was a physics exam. And I left the exam hall. I think it was about 12 o'clock. Um, drove back. I got my dad to give me a lift to Heathrow. I got all my ticket to Cyprus, uh, where I was just working on boats out there. Nothing to do with farming, unfortunately. But it was that step out of the UK. And I think what I would recommend to anyone who's never left before is that I then flew back for my exam results and to see people for, I think it was two or three days in August, um, and then flew back out there. And I remember the I think it was a month and a half, two months uh, before I flew back, thinking everything's going to have changed. Everyone's going to be completely different. And you get back and everything is literally the same. And people told me this and I didn't believe them. So it's something you have to experience yourself, you know, go overseas, get a taste of it for a few months. Don't try and stretch yourself, come back. And then it's really like, it just normalizes everything and everything just carries on. Because I was thinking to myself like, oh, someone's gonna not remember that I told them that cow was lame on her front left foot and she's gonna get this. And, you know, you create all these stories in your mind. And you come back and everything's fine. People are fine. And they'll be like, yeah, I miss you. Cool, see you when you see you. And that was a really good uh, learning step for me, um, especially when I came back to the UK and I went into ag sales, um, did lots of bits and bobs, worked with horse yards, 
um, and was kind of like, right, I actually really, I got a taste of it with Cyprus and I wanted to have a go again. Um, so in February, I flew out to New Zealand, got a job on a dairy farm out there. Um, and this is another tangent, but it's a funny story. Um, I had, you meant to prove how much, I don't recommend this by the way, but you meant to <laughs> prove how much you've got in your bank account that you can fly back to the UK. And I think I had 200 quid. <laughs> Um, at the time and I got there and I spent 150 pounds worth which is like 300 bucks on towels and soaps and everything I had packed and I didn't have a car with this job so I had to borrow one and I think I'd been there for three or four days and it was a Chinese owned farm and it was one of many there and the thing that really bugged me is that nobody on the farm there would have been 14 workers um except the farm manager had ever worked on another farm so all they knew was that and we had 20 something cows in the penicillin herd so you'd milk the main lot Mm -hmm. then these cows would come in um they killed nine cows on my second day for vets to research um purely because they weren't producing enough and this doesn't happen everywhere. This is a small minority of farms yeah. and it doesn't happen now. The cooperative has changed. Thank goodness I went out there again this year. Um, and I remember my third day, I'd woken up at four in the morning and I wanted to take on as many hours because obviously I had no money. And uh, I also bought a bit of food with that. I wasn't completely stupid. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> I was very like, like this girl's an idiot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I just remember it was like my fourth day and uh, they, they didn't treat the cows very well. They didn't know what they were doing. That was the biggest thing is that these people had no perspective because they'd never been anywhere else. Was, yeah, it was a Friday and the boss comes in and he's in the office and I finished the milking and he goes, oh, so what do you think? Do you like it here? And my words were, what kind of shit show are you running here? Like there was mastitis and all the milk filters and all sorts. And that was the main flood. And I just remember he was like, well, I was like, this is my notice. I do not want to be associated with a place like this. And I just remember leaving that meeting and he had to get a motorbike back to the house. And I remember like driving this motorbike being like, you've got 50 pounds to your name. You don't know a soul in this country. Like, you're a fucking idiot you are like and I was just like how am I going to get myself out of this and I had a two-week work period and that's where I just started like flooding everywhere with ads this is what I can do please help whatever you know like I'll work for nothing as long as I get free accommodation and food you know just think right how can I get myself out of there and soon enough um the manager said to me um oh, so your replacements arrived because they were just picking anyone off yeah, the plane, yeah. effectively your replacements arrived so he's gonna have to stay on the sofa until you've moved out so you can just leave and I was just like what okay and it was only nine days uh where some amazing people dairy vets as their company picked me up and I stayed in their sleep out um and rode horses for free accommodation and then what worked out fantastically was someone else replied to my ad um and it was Vanessa Wiley and she said, uh, yeah, you can roll wool for us. And uh, eventually she sold me her van by me working for them. So I'd like yeah. work to pay off the van and then stayed. And it was, I don't know how the universe works, but it was literally like next door roads to where I was staying. And these were completely random people. They'd never met that answered my ads. So Vanessa could pick me up before I had this van to take me to work, which was just like, amazing how that landed. And that was just one of the examples of how New Zealand was amazing. So, sorry, a tangent. Um, left New Zealand after about two years, 
because my boyfriend at the time's dad got terminal cancer and he was also English. So we flew back to the UK um, and I went back into sales thinking that's a good idea. Um, and we ended up staying for a bit longer and didn't work out between us. And I had the sales job and uh, truth is, I was miserable. You know, it was fun for a few months. I liked the challenge, but it was just not for me. And it actually took me, I went to go and visit some friends in France. And it, this is another stupid thing. I took the Friday and the Monday off. So that, I, you know, it would be effectively a long weekend, mm. but I wouldn't have too much time away from work. I'd still be in the office that week. Um, and it was just ridiculous. And I ended up with COVID from that, of course. And having that perspective uh, of, OK, so I can't go back into the office because I'm infectious. And this was before you could do tests at home as well. Um, and then I had a seizure in my flat and they were like, yeah. And then the doctor said, we're sending an ambulance man. Because they came around and described it on the phone. Um, and they said, oh, we're going to get a doctor to call you back. And obviously, 111 was flooded. So uh, I got a call back eight hours later after I'd had a big sleep. And I hadn't eaten for a week or drink water. I was just spewing it up. Um, and they called, rang me back. And I'd had my first big sleep and a huge meal. First time I'd eaten. I felt so much better. And the worst thing was, and this is an awful thing to say, but everyone that was going to, into hospital at the time was dying. So I just thought, I do not want to go there. Like, it's just, I feel so much better now. And I said, please turn it around, send it to somebody else. I'm going to see how we go. And I had the local GP calling me every morning and evening to check off still conscious, I think. Um, yeah, so that was COVID. Um, and then after that, I was like, right, I'm going to move back to where I'm from, see how it goes. Went there, left this job, um, got back into, spoke to some friends, was tractor driving in the beginning. I was like, oh, it's not really for me. I need to get some goods and stop. Put an ad out. And I used photos from New Zealand and it went crazy because people were like, oh, let's get this girl. She looks cool. And I had 54 jobs to choose from. Um, and then a few of these were like shearing gigs. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a bit of me. So I got one and that didn't work out. So I went to Marie Preble, who's just done a world record this year. She's amazing. Um, and she and Mike Sultan from Cumbria were the two that really basically made me believe in myself and my abilities. Like I was a bit down, I been in farming for six months, um, dipped in and out. And they were like, no, you, you can shear. Like, go and get a stand. You're good enough to be a learner. You work hard. And that's when I got a stand in Warwickshire. And then after that, I went up to Sean's. And I was doing, I think my best was like 150 um, that season. And then after Sean's, I went to uh, Norway for the first time to work in a slaughterhouse shearing dead sheep, which is different. Feels like um, that. Yeah, it, it was... Um, I knew what I was going to. Mike, who I'd worked with at Marie's, had been out there before. So he kind of like prepped me for what was coming. Um, and most of us, I guess, listening to this would have been to an abattoir. So we know what happens, at least on the outside. Just, just to give you a little bit of background about me going to an abattoir, I went as a student and I fainted. <laughs> <laughs> on the yeah. ground, completely out. I can understand that. Uh, it's... <laughs> Yeah, and the like the funny place is that where this abattoir is set up is that you have to walk through like the cow line and then the pig line and then get to the sheep. So <laughs> you're literally and like these cows and like cows are big. They're, they're big when they're alive. They're the they same size big, yeah. as they're dead, and they're like hung from the ceiling. And then the, I remember there's this corner, and it was the same with the pigs. They would like swing around the corner 
And if you were walking at the wrong time, you'd get taken out by these cows. <laughs> and you, you, I was given like this orange, it was a, sorry, green hard hat to wear as like the sheep section. And I remember like, you literally just like this, walking through, dodging cows and dead pigs to then get to the sheep. Um, and uh, there was six, and it is really frustrating because there used to be, and in some places you shear the sheep live. Um, the reason why they shear them whilst they're dead isn't because the wool's overly valuable. It is more valuable than the UK, but it's actually the skins. They don't have so much barbed wire out here and the sheep are kept um, on the hill, uh, on the mountain during the summer or inside during the winter. So it's actually the leather that's very valuable. Uh, Norwegian leather is like basically what goes into Gucci and all the designer brands um, because of the quality of the skin. It's not got rips in it or things like that. Um, so uh, we were shearing it basically for the skins and then when the, the skins are then processed because there's less wool there's less chemicals needed to kind of get the remainder off something like that um, so that was why we were doing it and there were six shearers I was doing what we would call the crutch of where like it literally clear the back legs and around the tail and we got up to doing that about 2,000 times a day which is mind-numbing it was physically it was fine it was you know you got an achy arm for the first week and then you got strong um but I listened to audiobooks all day okay so it's yeah. fun and I actually almost enjoyed it because I would just learn every day um and once you get over the fact that they're dead uh that's wrong, the wrong way of saying it once you accept it um it's a tricky one because people go, oh, how can you do that? You see them when they're alive, you give birth. You don't give birth. What's wrong? <laughs> you assist I in the birth. Uh, I haven't got to that stage in my life. So no, no not me. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those. And I guess the way that I like it is that none of the animals were in pain. And interestingly enough, when they're what we call the furs, uh, when they're in the bits that they're dropped off and kind of like the holding pens, they're not scared they're quite relaxed they're sleeping they have a bit of food and they kind of walk around like it's nothing normal and then the section for the killing bit um it's very respectful and then it's a pretty instant thing and then I guess I stop looking at it like a live animal because it isn't and then it becomes something that we've got to process for people to eat um and it was actually quite interesting being part of that process it's not something I'd do again um but I've done it the pay was quite good because no one wants to do it and they get a lot of foreign workers in because Norwegians don't want to do it. How soon after slaughter is that happening? I take it right. It's not rigor mortis kicked in or anything like that. Like they're still... Oh, no. So yeah, it's, I can draw a diagram, but basically like to describe it, you've got the fjus, then this small conveyor belt, which basically traps their feet in so that they're not able to jump anywhere. Their necks are cut and then they go up into the air around a corner which is probably only 10 meters long and then there's an electric stimulation bar which was behind me from where I was shearing and that um is basically when an animal dies if anyone has seen it it's they're dead but the last bit of the adrenaline is pumped through their system so they'll kick out a bit and sometimes they'll make noise um and this electric stimulation uh finishes that you know by putting electricity through the body and then it's normally completely still when it comes round, and we're in a big kind of straight line and there's six shearers three one side three the other um and i think it was someone did the belly i did the crutch then someone did the front leg other front leg someone did the back and then we had like a cleanup person at the end so we could manage with five um 
And I, I can understand anyone listening to this is going to be like, how could you talk about it so casually? But I did do it for three months and I've been lucky enough to tell all my friends about it because they're like, what was it like? Um, and it's something that, as I say, to be part of a respectful process like that was no problem. But one thing I will mention as well is that I did a lot of home kills in uh, New Zealand and a, a few other places. And the one thing that I do like about home kills is I obviously got lots of practice. It's how I fed my dogs in New Zealand. Um, is that I can end a sheep's life within five seconds with a knife, which sounds horrendously brutal. Mm -hmm. However, they're in their field, it's home, they're not being transported to anywhere, it's not stressful, and it's, dare I say, like an incredibly peaceful process to then man like process the meat on the farm that it's from, um, when a lot of the time these animals are never on trucks until it's their last journey. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things, and I know a lot of people, even farmers, have said to me, oh, I could never kill my own animals on the farm, you know, unless they're in pain, because it's just something that in the UK we don't see and we're not involved in. Things like that, it, I almost prefer it um, for the meat that I have, definitely. I, I, I am one of the people that couldn't, yeah, but I back what you're saying. I think that, you know... Like, when we consider, for example, venison to say lamb, the big change is the fact that venison, not <laughs> venison aren't, deer are just mm. living their life and then they're not, you know, and it, it, and you're saying like people ask how, how can you talk that so casually, I think it's very important we know where our food comes from first off, especially for eating meat, but the the, the discussion we had, I did this as part of a, what was it, like a, a, a behaviour and welfare class I did in my master's, is is the question, is death a harm? And now personally, I don't think it is. Um, mm. But, and if death isn't a harm, and if we can agree on that, if we can't, that's fine. But, you know, if, if it isn't, then surely the quicker that happens without having to be taken to a random place, the better. Yeah. And I mean, one thing I will add is that before I went to New Zealand, I agreed with you. I was thinking, I could never do that. That would that's something I could never do unless it's in pain. I could never justify yeah. it. However, for the sake of feeding my dogs and also feeding myself, I know it's like I could name the fields that that sheep had been in. Yeah, for sure. You know, when we talk about food miles, when you can be like from where it was born to my plate, it's four miles. You know, or even two, it, it completely changes the the board game actually and. The other thing is it's very much normalised in New Zealand and that's not a cruelty thing at all. It's just when kids grow up, it's like, oh, the freezer's empty, you know, so let's go and fill the freezer. Like if people would go to the supermarket, it's just a different process. Um, and it, it did take me a while to get my head around. And I think that benefited me going to Norway to do this um, shearing dead sheep was that I already had that kind of perspective. Um, so, uh, yeah interesting one um definitely but I mean after Norway I went back to the UK to do a lambing um and then crikey I have to think about this now after that I was uh yeah here for spring I went back to Norway to do the spring shearing so we shear sheep live sheep uh twice a year um once when they come off the mountain uh so that's kind of in the autumn time just finished that now and then again in the spring, pre-lambing. So they're big, heavy. And when I say they're big, it's like the average ewe that I would chew is 100 kilo uh, plus. And 
then when you add in a belly full of lambs and it's not uncommon for them to have three or four out here that's yeah. not quite normal but nearby um it becomes difficult, uh, but you you get through it. And it's very sticky because they've been inside for six months at this point. So shearing in Norway is tough, yeah. Is there not any issues with the whole sort of shearing near lambing time? Uh, it's not overly near. I'd say it's between six weeks, uh, usually. Yeah. Um, and the way that I would is that some of them go crazy, which they do. It doesn't matter how you're handling them. Some sheep just will kick and go wild is that I'll just let them go, let them have 10 minutes, a breather, shear a few more in the meantime, and then go and shear again. Dare I say, especially in the beginning, this was happening, you know, four or five times, maybe more in a run a day. <laughs> it was it was happening often. Um, but I think as well, the farmers really appreciated that because I was a beginner shearer when I started yeah. shearing on farms. And out here especially, it's normal. I was told... Uh, when I was shearing in the UK, starting out, oh, you'll need three years before you ever shear in Norway, before mm. you ever be good enough. Funnily enough, I haven't been shearing for three years, so <laughs> here I am uh, still. But no, that first year, it was I felt almost like it was a privilege. Oh, they're going to let me shear their sheep. This is amazing. Um, and therefore, everything else was heightened. I could only shear to my ability, but I made sure to be super friendly super thoughtful for the animal and the farmer and really making an effort uh so that they wouldn't be like oh she was slow you know but and i, I mean the what the feedback that the others got was that yeah she was slow but she's a really nice girl <laughs> so yeah, yeah. that then meant that i got the stand uh, for the following year and then ended up getting a really good one um in the autumn and then uh the spring um and so i'm sorry this is divulging as i'm good at no, um, the spring in a way came back and um this is when i do small flocks in the uk so that was i put an advert out and there's a lot of people in the uk with pet flocks and they really struggle to find a shearer so i was going around with some battery shears shearing flocks of between one sheep uh, and I did a few hundreds, but it, yeah, those were small and far between. Um, and that was so much fun because the best thing about shearing small flocks is there's no time pressure because really it's a handful of sheep. <laughs> yeah, but it's also for advice. You know, I would get so many people asking me, and, and how would you do this? And how would you do that? Mm -hmm. And there's, they're just genuinely interested about how they can better the life of their sheep. And I mean, there were a few times where I had to pull people aside and go, your sheep are obese this is a problem you know let's work out how we're going to address this um and i've made some fantastic friends from then that i go and stay with now if i'm in that area and i actually cover pretty much the whole of the uk going around cheering these pet sheep and now this last year was so full-on because i had so many customers there was actually a bit of a time you know push uh, mm -hmm. to do it but uh no that so that's been great fun then um, this summer that summer whoops I went to Scotland um and worked with Barney Neil McIntyre who's a legend in himself okay, uh, yeah. yeah you're Scottish Barney loves his whiskey so you'll know that's about I, Barney. I do apologize to sort of go away from the Scottish um, stereotype but I cannot stand whiskey <gasps> really 
it hurts so much. Why don't you drink something? Are you putting on this accent? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I'm actually Spanish. This is false. <laughs> Makes so much sense now. I mean, I've never seen a Spanish for such a fantastic beard, but um, Spanish. Oh, there must be some out there, surely. Uh, but th- thank you for the compliment, okay? Um, yeah, yeah, to find them. But uh, <laughs> stereotypes aside, Neil Barney is a fantastic cheerer in his own right. He's travelled the world cheering and he taught me so much and he also funnily enough where i'm living now barney used to have his shearing run in norway so we know a lot of the same farmers and uh, it's fantastic because they'll tell me stories about barney and all sorts and he's got a reputation of his own so it's <laughs> i think i mean you could speak to him and see some stories but i think he'd get into a lot of trouble um not only with the police but with some husbands no doubts oh right <laughs> okay funny. got you got you those right. kind of stories uh-huh. yeah. uh so yeah after barney <laughs> i um went up and saw sean again um in orkney and then was like that was really when i thought let's go overseas and i drove out and she in germany first um, just quickly and, before we go to europe uh could you tell us about sean a lot of folk a lot of folk like sean obviously yeah, so Sean is, he's referred to often Sean the Viking. Um, now with his girlfriend, Emma, uh, I met Sean before he'd met Emma. I was working up there a season and he was absolutely fantastic and he taught me a lot about shearing, but he took me to, I think it was seven or eight of the islands around mainland Orkney shearing sheep. And I worked it out, I think one day, and it would have cost about £3,000 to do a holiday of everywhere that I'd been, but I was paid to do it, shearing sheep. Um, and since I've gone back up there, there's a guy, Donald um, and Harvey on the Isle of Hoy, which is one of the islands out there, have Shetland sheep, we go shearing for them. Um, both of them take took me to Rice a Little, which is a teeny island uh, in between mainland and Hoy. And it's got some sheep of Donald's on and they're feral Shetlands, absolutely okay. feral. And to get them in, the first year, it was Donald, Harvey, myself and my dog, Jane. And I'm pretty sure we all cried. It was, (laughs) you know, threatening to rain most of the day. And we were trying to get these sheep in. And bearing in mind, these sheep only see humans once or twice a year. So they will just scatter like Shetland sheep do, feral. Uh, And uh, Donald had to go swimming in the water. And there were seals everywhere to put hurdles in because as the tide goes out, you know, the sheep will just run along the beach. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Rice a Little pretty much broke us. Uh, Harvey was on two-wheeler as well, and you could just hear this Scottish scream as he read the motorbike trying to get these sheep to run, and they just wouldn't. Uh, so this year we went out, and we actually had uh, Welsh Sandy Wilson uh, from Mayo Boluses. She was coming out. but she Poor girl, she'd come out to a site visit, Harvey, um, for cattle boluses, and he went, ah, oh, we'll give you a taste of Orkney and you can come to Rice a little with us. And my boyfriend was also visiting us for the day and we had Donald's brother, Lachlan, with us too. So we had a team and we were ready for hell. And luckily it was a beautiful day, sun was shining, and most of the sheep ran the right way. Um, So we ended up just having a laugh about it and joking about how awful it was the previous year. So thanks to Sean, he put me in touch with that small flock job and, and... Everyone was happy, but I think it was a baptism of fire for poor Sandy, who's used to sales calls. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what did you call that? Character building? Is that what that is? Or character oh, building? It was, one of the two. <laughs> it was a day that I'll never forget. Oh, so to top it off the first year, sorry, I forgot. We, we got the sheep into the shearing pen. And as I say, it was threatening to rain the whole day. 
and uh, I had my portable shearing stand with me and a generator and it started raining and like lightning started okay. on hoy and my metal shearing stand in the air yep. was the only piece of metal around <laughs> and I was like oh the lightning's pretty far away boys like we'll keep on going we'll keep on going and I was like you know finish these sheep and they got quite close and we were all kind of looking at each other like, I don't want to say it, but someone needs to. Um, so we eventually packed down and went back and finished it the next day um, because we thought, oh, is rice a little worth our lives? It's taken our souls. Um, and yeah, that was the first year. So the second year was much better this summer. Um, and uh, yeah, big thanks to Sean for introducing me to Orkney and everything up there. He's fantastic. And him and Emma are doing awesome. He showed me their new farm. So yeah, yeah hats off Not to them. Different obviously mm. stars of this farming life this year um, yeah yeah no they've done phenomenally well. watched at all <laughs> i haven't either and i remember his mum being going saying to me you've not watched an episode and i just I, i'm really quite bad at it normally watch tv especially when i'm working on the road and uh, i was like no sorry <laughs> and i went and sat down to watch one but it was of other people and i was having to skip and find a bit that was you yes. know the people i knew I think they're in the last series. Um, it's funny, I mean, I must have had probably double figures of folk that have been on it now. And uh, every time I'm like, so tell us about it. And they're like, what did you think? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so far now, I've got to catch up. No, like, oh, come on. Sorry, Germany, Rachel, in Germany now. Yeah, so I, I went shearing in uh, East Germany, um, which I say demographically, I've received a bit of backlash from Instagram, so you can't call it East Germany anymore, but it yeah, actually is yeah. East Germany. Uh, and the, the one thing I will say about that, though, is that you know when you're in East Germany, because it, there is still a divide. Um, still, yeah, okay. when people say, oh, I'm going on holiday to Germany, they're going to West Germany. Um, the land, I think, is four times dearer in the West than it is on the East for farmers, especially. Um, this is getting better, even though it's been 30, 40 years since the Cold War. Um, it's, yeah, it, it, crazy. But uh, the land just, it, they haven't been able to afford fertilizers, so it's just not as fertile. Like right. things like that, it's crazy. And there's so much more farms in the East because it's just not so populated. And there is a Tesla factory going in. So it's, you know, it's, money is going there but it's just a very slow process and the reason why I mention that isn't to discredit anyone but it's actually the farms that I go to in East Germany are proud to be East German farmers yeah, yeah. And not only are we a successful German farmer but we're a successful East German farmer which I think I really admire them for because you know they kind of got adversity and one of them actually told me it was only 10 years ago that their cousins in the East used to bring them oranges as a joke because you couldn't buy oranges in East Germany for many years. Right. So it, it, things like that, that you just think, wow, you know, I've grown up being able to eat oranges my whole life. Um, but it, it just has, it's different for them. So that was quite fascinating. And there was, I, that was kind of my first taste of going to farms that didn't speak any English. So it was, and I'm, I'm trying my best at languages, but I'm not the best, but uh yeah we 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 found a way to get by and i've met lots of strange people that i kind of think to myself like what's going on here but <laughs> as long as you shear the sheep they're happy and you get on with the job at the end of the day um and that took me uh well after that i went and had my first taste in italy and i was there for my birthday in september only a few weeks the first time 
um, and sheared some sheep which hadn't seen rain in four months and were so unbelievably sandy. It was like my handpiece would go through and it would just be like, and you'd need to change a cutter halfway through and all sorts. Like it was, yeah. And as I hear a lot of like Scottish people complaining about shearing sheep that live near the coast. And I'm just like, well, you've never experienced this. Like, so. <laughs> um, and I mean, similarly in Germany, some of the sheep there aren't shorn for two or three years. It's when they can get a shearer. So it's, uh, yeah. And I mean, welfare-wise, this is a, just a thing to touch on, is that New Zealand gets a lot of backlash in terms of welfare. And the Kiwi himself um, is a world record holder shearer. Uh, I was at his place a few months ago and he said to me, the people that complain about New Zealand welfare are people that have never been to New Zealand themselves. And it is so true, unbelievably true. Because as I say about home kills, people here would go, well, that's barbaric. But as I've explained, when, you know, it's in its paddock with its friends, it's a completely peaceful process. Um, so that's uh, an interesting thing. And when it comes to Germany and Italy, the vets are so expensive out there, they don't call them. And ever, yeah. Well, they do, but very rarely, normally for vaccinations yeah. and women. And this differs from everyone. I can't, that's the wrong way for me to say it. A lot of people, some do, some Yeah, for don't. sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, a lot of people don't vaccinate or worm. I've sheared sheep that have got three working legs and some pretty horrendous stuff. And people are going, why can't you call anyone about this? This is horrendous. Why would you do that? But it's their culture. And I think this is a, like a massive thing. I know... British people that have gone and worked in Europe and overseas and they've left after a few weeks or days because I just couldn't handle it. It was how they were treating the animals was horrible. But to them, it's no, that's how they've always been. Um, and it's awareness and carefully wording questions to people is my only way of combating it. Um, and saying things like, right, um, how come you still got her? And, you know, you've got to be super careful because I'm not going on there as a farm advisor. I'm going on there as a sheep sure, yeah. And especially when it's not me organising the run, I'm, you know, effectively representing somebody else. So I've got to be even more careful. Um, and in terms of welfare, I think that instead of slagging off New Zealand, we actually need to be a lot we're more worried about things closer to home. Because when people go on holiday, they never go to a, a real farm, you know, in yeah. Europe. You go to an open farm where everything's happy and we keep all the weathers so it's like that's a that's what, what's quite worrying about that though is that's eu you know like that's yeah like you're not in the eu at the minute are you norway's what eaa or something like that yeah it's, it's, selected. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. not eu though is it it's, it's, no yeah, yeah but um you know new zealand sort of had that that name ever since they get rid of subsidy haven't they really sort of basically just went hyper efficiency and the idea is the opposite welfare wise and I, i've never really sort of accepted that on the basis of what you just said i've never seen it well, um, the way that i and again this isn't true for everyone but when we're talking about those hyper efficient farms on new zealand that i worked on in my experience if an animal is in pain instead of injecting it injecting it injecting it injecting it <laughs> and taking it away from the flock they're killed now some people go oh my goodness that's horrible that animal's in pain and quite often, even in the UK, you can bring it inside. It's stressed to hell because it's away from its friends and you're stabbing it every day with needles and then it's going to die anyway. You know, tell me what's more cruel. So they don't see it like that because people can't think of it from others' perspectives in the same way because often they haven't experienced it. 
As someone who's absolutely petrified of needles, I think I know my answer. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it, it's it's a tricky one to get your head around. But then the other thing about it is that because they're not often treated with all these antibiotics, when that animal's killed, the meat is used. You know, yes, it's not put exactly. into a dead hole and it's yep. not, you know, just you pay someone to take it away for you. It's used to feed the working dogs. Um, and you know it, that's the other thing I like about it is the small amount of waste in New Zealand farming. Um, I really respect them for that. But uh, yeah, it's a concerning thing. I, I mean, going whilst we're on the topic of welfare, Norway is again out of the EU, but you have to call the vet to use any antibiotics. Which that's right. we yeah. would. Oh my goodness, that's horrendous! But because of that, the amount of antibiotic resistance in this country is next to none. They're very tightly controlled. A lot of things that, as a UK farmer, you'd be able to just say, oh, can you drop a bottle off or leave a bottle out for me? I'll come pick it up. You can't. Even with the VETS certificate, you cannot access it in this country, um, which, as we're getting onto like, resistance, you know, Norwegian farmers are laughing at the UK because, yeah. oh, you know, we've only got penicillin, a lot of them. Um, That's however, common, though. That is common. It's yeah. got to be common here. It's, there's... There's no doubt in my mind that's on its way. I mean, even like we're starting to see it with the likes of like Spectam and stuff like that being banned for the conventional farmer. It's got to be vet prescribed, all that sort of thing. Like it, it will be coming, and it's 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 been a long time coming. Well, they've almost <laughs> gone too far, and the reason my boyfriend was trying to explain to me is that they've got to keep the vets in work. So to scan your cattle, you have to have a vet, which frustrates oh, me. Right. Yeah, okay. things like yeah, that. Okay. If you have yeah. a cow that goes down with milk fever, she needs calcium as soon as she can. Yeah. So you, like, I've administered that to animals all over the world. And I For was sure. saying, I saw a cow down here, it was last year, and I said, oh, where's, where is your, you know, like your treatment? Let's give it to her. And it was going, oh, no, we have to call the vet. Now, uh, that's that not antibiotics. Too, yeah. That's just irons. Mm -hmm. But you can't give it to the vet. And he was trying to explain to me, well, if we didn't call the vets as often as we do, we wouldn't have as many vets so that when we need the vets, they're not going to be there. Um, when in the UK, a lot of it is you can be like a vet tech and TV test yeah. and mm -hmm. things like that. So interesting because there's a lot of problems in veterinary, you know, mental health and things like that. So is that going to come to? I don't think it can. I think there's too many farms in the UK. Um, yeah. But another thing to mention is that a lot of farmers over here will have cows 20 milk cows is quite common how many was that sorry you froze for a 20 second. 20 right okay yeah you yeah. know 20 animals and a full-time job alongside it's quite uncommon to have a full-time living off a single farm that's a, that's a point actually when i think norway i just think sheep but is yeah. is that wrong is that wrong or yeah i would say there are a handful of farms that will have hundreds of sheep but even then there'll be nowhere you know in scotland you can get quite a lot of hill farms that will have a few thousand sheep yeah that's yeah. unheard of because you have to keep them inside for so many months of the year <laughs> you've got to have the space to and it's not just like a building a barn which is a cover it's an insulated shed i mean this week it was minus 28 so they've got to be, you know, warm and otherwise they'll freeze, quite literally. You know, it's, and, it's, it's, it's funny you say about 28 there, just, just quickly, Rach, you, you'd said this to me yesterday and I posted like on RTK, like just a hint for someone I'm filming with tomorrow, it was negative 28 yesterday. And I, got, I got a message saying, are you filming at Lapland for a Christmas special? <laughs> and I was like, almost actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm closer than you are now, I suppose. Um, yeah, it gets, it's when... 
you open your front door and you feel the liquid on your eyes start to freeze. So you yeah. have to blink. That's when I don't like it. Um, and my dog, bless her, she's from New Zealand. She's a heading dog. And she's got so many coats and even like snow boots uh, because I worry about her in this cold. But she's she's fine. She's, you know, it's all insulated. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it is too cold. Um, and the thing I struggle with is luckily where I am in Norway, we get a, at least an hour of sunlight. That's the minimum. Um, but when you go into the north, even now, they won't see the sun until the spring. And then when lambing happens, they call it midnight sun and they get sun 24 hours a day. So I have to take vitamin D. I remember the first time I was feeling really ill and I was in the pub with some friends and I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, this isn't right. And uh, one of them was like, here, take these. And I was a bit like, oh, okay, these little white pills. And uh, I took a few and I felt fantastic. And I was like... You know, like, was it just vitamin D? Um, it was uh, such a shock to the system how much more energetic I felt. But I think Norwegians are born into it. It doesn't affect them so much. Um, but definitely for me, I, I miss having a bit of sunlight on my face. It's, it's quite surreal that, I mean, let's even speak UK, you know, even even the sort of not extreme days in the winter aren't really that far away from the autumn and the spring. You know, like, it's you know, and then the summer's, just acceptably warmer you know it's not really different the whole way through you see a notable change but barely but the difference you guys see is like from one extreme to the next and in, in a few yeah. months later. I mean like I've only <laughs> I've been here for a full summer um yeah because I've been working overseas but um it gets up to 30 I think for a few days and uh yeah I think it's been minus 40 here in the past um That's a point of 70 degrees yeah it's interesting because he's got a diesel heater for the tractor and the gearbox heater um and like all cars are fitted with diesel heaters they just manage it so much better and it's so funny because we were watching the news in the uk and it got (laughs) to like minus one and people were smashing into each other the motorways are blocked off the countries are like oh my god it's a huge crisis and we're sat in minus 20 like yeah cool you know it's and when people are like the grit is a useless what's the grit doing here they just don't grit they just scrape the roads when it gets that cold so you get snow scrapers but they're prepared for it so it's um different cultures in uh different ways i suppose but it is funny when people are like and it's like this uh that noise on tiktok of the violin when everyone's like oh my goodness it's minus six today and i just like send them back minus 20 and i'm like yeah carry on you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no sympathy here you know it's, so. it's quite funny I, I i do quite a lot of like night walking like just because it's when i get time and uh my beard froze solid last week and that was negative seven i think it was Ooh. so yeah i mean it was like 10k so i was out for you know just over two well just about two hours um but it was it was like misty so beard was getting wet and like i was like i was trying not to touch it to see just how hard it would go and like two about here down it up was frozen solid so we're pretty cool to see it be like a negative 20. Um, yeah well yeah. i mean it was only negative 15 so of course tropical the other night and it would it'd been so cold i hadn't really like gone out much with my dog i love to walk in the mountains and i was just like i've got to get out and i've got to do something because i'm i'm getting I'll put on my running shoes and I'll just go for a jog. And when I get too cold, I'll turn around. And actually running a minus 15 is fantastic training because I couldn't stop for fear of freezing. Like it (laughs) it was, 
I had to keep going and in the end I ran 10k which is the most that I've ever ran like especially oh. here so I was like this is fantastic and as soon as you get to minus 20 I'm like no too gold but um yeah, yeah that was uh, a bit of it but then I remember getting back and my like muscles they haven't frozen but you know when you get muscle corners yeah. I was so stiff I was like shouted at my boyfriend I said you have to take my shoes off because <laughs> I just physically couldn't do laces so yeah that was a, a bit of a stupid thing but fun so no it's negative it's negative 50 it's basically bikini weather at that stage like I mean it's oh, just... <laughs> exactly you know get, go and get a suntan and my hour of sunlight per day <laughs> yeah, exactly. make the most <laughs> no so if, it's, if, uh... if we were to wait for another hour would that be going dark yeah yeah, it's what, starting now, so um right, I'm not sure if you can see if, if I was to do that it's just, it's it's just like a, take a while yeah. yeah, and so the sun, where we are is a valley. So there's the mountain up there that I go and walk with my dog. Then you've got a river in the bottom and then up the other side. And the sun where we are will just like plop over for about an hour. And it's now going down on the other side. So that's it for today. I kind of wish you'd said, I always feel bad for taking your live we've done this podcast over the only daylight you have <laughs> well when when you said you know would you like to come on i was so excited but then when you said the time i was like damn it i'm not gonna be able to have a big mountain walk well i just i wanted to show you the view it was all about that <laughs> I, just didn't, I didn't want to go too early on a sunday and i was i didn't want in fairness i didn't want to miss the world cup final either i was trying to get in the middle of course priorities you got to <laughs> think about that and check no you it's okay like i've got a head yeah well I, the other thing I've got to now is that I've got these special they're like I don't really know how to describe them but they're basically like wide aluminium that you put your boots into and they're right. effectively like walking on uh snow sleds but like mini yeah. ones because the snow is so deep on the mountains now I just like fall through and you're literally swimming in snow so I've now got to use them to be able to walk and my dog has to bounce everywhere so that, that's how we get our exercise in um every day so it's yeah. jane sounds like a trooper she sounds like a trooper yeah yeah she's she's asleep by the fire now uh living the dream effectively but no she's well as i say 20 countries down now um yeah. and she's got I, on my snapchat my friends laugh it's called the jane trap and basically good. it's i can't speak the same language as a lot of people but somehow jane will understand good dog in every language and then immediately <laughs> gravitate to them and uh, she um, just makes the best friends. And I now get comments like uh, when people are organizing to get their sheep sheared, instead of, oh, Rachel, when are you coming to shear the sheep? I'll get a text saying, hello, when is Jane coming to visit us? Like, they don't care about me. They just want to see her. And I work with another clipper down here. Uh, he's Scottish. He's awesome. And uh, he's like, that fucking dog, because he'll have gone to a farm and they'll go, oh, can can the dog come next time can, can the girl that has that dog come because she's got such a name for herself and a lot of farms because the dogs are only really used for like two months of the year bringing the sheep off the mountains over here um they won't have the dogs in a sheep shed because they just go crazy you know yeah. for those six months inside but she's used to it so she'll just come in wherever i'm cheering get her spot and stay in it the whole day 
and the she's just trained I guess so um the farmers are normally quite shocked by that and then I'll be shearing and I'll look up and she won't be there and I'll panic and I'll be like you know she's causing problems and the farmers will be like no no she helps and she'll then have just taken her with them to push the next lot of sheep to me <laughs> and I, I like I've completely not noticed but she's quite good with hand actions and Similarly, my boyfriend's got um, many dairy cows and a few beef, and he was trying to separate the cows and calves, uh, but you need to bring them inside for the handling system. And uh, these two calves wouldn't come in. And he gave them a couple of days, and he was like, they'll come in, I'm sure they'll, they'll just follow the others soon, and they'll have to come in. And they were, they were just playing hard to get, and uh, didn't come in. I can't remember what I was doing. I was busy, and he had my dog. And he was like, oh, I'll just try it, because he knew that she works cows. And uh, I got this text like completely randomly going, I love your dog. And like, because he doesn't know any commands. He's never worked with dogs before. He'd just used hand signals and she'd yeah. help bring these calves up from the bottom paddock. So I was just like, oh, so she's allowed to stay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've accepted. That's Jane. But, yeah, no, she's wicked. She works in the Italian Alps now uh, on beaches, obviously writes a little <laughs> with that horrible yeah. day um yeah and obviously new zealand where she's from so she's pretty handy um, so you you mentioned 20 countries now i don't think we've got time to have a story from from all of them because i think we've already been speaking for about an hour and a quarter it really does fly oh, wow. by. yeah Ooh, yeah it flies crazy. by um yeah no we've basically started at dark and then finished at dark again um <laughs> what what other countries are in there we've had what norway new zealand cyprus germany italy uk what else is in there is there 14 yeah. Oh, oh crikey uh I, if i'm honest i have to get a list a lot of them we've just driven through so yeah, we have yeah. on all of them obviously france is on there um okay, yeah. and a class like england scotland and ireland is three just to bump up yeah. those numbers 20 sounds a lot better than 17 like 18 so that's <laughs> that's how we go 18 still a lot i think i've done by that if, if you count if you count england scotland wales i've done Five. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, six. I went to Northern Ireland. And, and, oh. and, uh, yeah, I'm a big traveller. I mean, it's like eight miles from home. But <laughs> congratulations! It's thank you. But, thank but you. it's interesting because a lot of people in New Zealand don't even own a passport because they're like, why would I right. go anywhere else when I haven't visited my whole country yet? So that's an interesting Ooh. mindset to have. Um, it's it's yeah. There's 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 a positive mindset in there though because I think. There's, there's, there's quite a, a good thing to understand in your own nation. I mean, I've never been above Perth. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's shocking. It's, it's, it's almost embarrassing. I, I, someone preliminarily asked me to do a, a speech, like a guest speaking in Shetland uh, last week, and I'm very excited if that goes ahead to go and see Shetland. But um, yeah, it's embarrassing actually how few. But sorry, yeah, other places you've been. Apologies. <laughs> no, I mean it's uh i guess i didn't really realize it at the time but my small flocks have have taken me to pretty much every corner of england um and a lot of places in wales and also scotland so i've been quite lucky with that in the case of traveling but um i guess i, I really love to learn about people and their hardships like going back to east germany and europe austria mm -hmm. italy um they really struggle with wolves so they've got guardian dogs and it's interesting because obviously we have a lot of dog attacks in the UK and people are going, oh, I've got, and there's, you know, two sheep dead to this dog attack. And it really reminds me of when a pack of wolves have gone through a flock in yeah. Italy, you know, it looks the same. Um, and do we bring guardian dogs to the UK? 
you know, is that it's a huge uh, thing, and uh, some people have asked me about it. And funny, as a funny story about guardian dogs, is uh, we were so maybe not no september and uh, we'd finishing it was dark and we'd done several sites that day and we just heard this and we're like, oh my goodness what was that you know it's no idea and one of the guardian dogs had bitten into a red marker can of sheep spray <laughs> and it was covered like from here downwards covered in red and i took a picture of it and was like oh, i'll get a few laughs out of this and put it on my snapchat and was like just killed a wolf average day in Germany happened right in front of me and I got so many people being like oh my god is everyone okay like and completely panicking and I was like oh no it was just a marker like it was completely normal so that was uh funny this year but no it's it's a really big problem and um I actually got interviewed by a lady involved in the Italian government actually last time I was there um asking me about my opinion on wolves and different trees and the problems it causes because it's similar in Norway a lot of farmers get sheep eaten by lynx and wolverine and even brown bears are now becoming more common and in Sweden there's hardly any sheep now because governments have said to farmers we're paying you so much in subsidies is the wrong word but in allowances because your sheep are getting eaten every year that we're just going to give you this big lump sum which could be up to 200,000 by the way and as long as you stop farming now and that's now starting to happen in Norway. That's happened um, in Ireland as well, for different reasons. It's oh, the, well, oh the, yeah, no, I've heard yeah. about that, but this is just predators. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's actually really scary because you've got a lot of people that are going, save the wolf, save the wolf. But all it's going to take is for a wolf to kill a person, which will be the next thing that happens, I can guarantee it. And then it'll be, oh, we need to cull these wolves, you know. What? And there's a guy in the next valley, Vogor, and he shot a bear. And like, there's a special wildlife police called SNO. And you'd think that he killed, you know, there was a school shooting, you know, the oh, amount really? of police that were there. Um, they autopsied the bear to check the direction the bullet holes were in to make sure that he'd killed it in defence rather than killing a bear because it's on, you know, it's attacking his sheep. Um, in Germany, it's every bullet that's sold has a number on it. And that number goes to your name, address and farm or any hunters too. And they've all got GPS trackers on. And if one of these wolves stops with the tracker, then the police will go, obviously take the bullet out, see the number. And I think it's 50 years if you kill a wolf, but only 20 years if you kill a person. Oh, in jail. Insane. Yeah. It, it's, there's a military um, section, like we would have the Royal Marines. There's yeah. a section in Norway and pretty much most other countries for wolf protection. And it's like you've got a cocaine drug den. They will just smash the whole house down to find you because you've killed a single wolf. That's mental. And, and like, it's, it's kind of scary because, I mean, uh, wolves are, are part of the discussion, such as beavers and such, like, they want to bring back to Scotland as well. Like, I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's like they say, oh, we want to bring wolves back to control the deer population. But a sheep doesn't run as fast as a deer. So what do you think the wolf's going to go for? And they just don't think like that. It's it's a, a real concern. And I mean, of course, you've got reindeer here. And the Sami people are the ones that own the reindeer in Norway. And they're like reindeer herders. And um, I hope we don't get into any trouble. But the Sami kill wolves. But there's a bit of a hush-hush about that. 
Um, yeah. But they do that to manage because that's how they farm their reindeer is that they can't have their stock constantly killed. And the sheep farmers aren't allowed to do that. It's it's required though, isn't it? Like it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those ones like you say. You but it's a top tier predator. It's going to go out of control soon. Yeah, enough. of course it will. And, and like you say, it's going to kill a kid or it's going to kill a person. And then are, are folk going to still stick by what it is? Or, or does it need to kill... And this is going to be a horrible thing to say, but does it need to kill someone who's making them these decisions, someone near them, before something starts to change? And that's a horrible prospect and a horrible thing to, to mention. But it's, it's no, somewhat... it, unfortunately, it's so hard to, to shout loud enough for the government to listen. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's got to be almost personal for them for it to become important. And um, yeah, I say that stereotyping, but I also say it with facts because. Farmers are the ones producing food for the nation, yet they're still accepting bills for us to import all this other food. Yeah. And, you know, the price, it, it's just not going to continue. Pigs this year, how many pig farmers do you know that are going, we can't breed anymore because we made yeah. £3 an animal that's cost us £50, you know, to produce. So it's um, this is why I really hope there's going to be this reverse in not only attitude, but in payments and appreciation. And as I said uh, before we started, here is such a historical valley for farming. Um, Mm -hmm. It was a very dense farmer's area. And once upon a time, if you were a farmer in this valley, you were top of the tier. I mean, on this farm, we've got the old courthouse because, and it's got even a jail, it's called history, things like that. Um, But they were earning so much money that they could afford to also be the judge of the area because they were a big farm um, and everybody else looked up to them. And it's almost like how you would look up to bankers in an economic sense now, you know, oh, they've got a lot of money. It's, it's one of those. So um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting few years. Definitely. Will be, will be. Um, I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2 cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. The only question, I've actually got a million questions, but <laughs> I, I always feel like I could sit and do these podcasts for eight hours, but I feel like people wouldn't listen for eight hours. Um, but um, yeah, the question I have is, you've shorn in a lot of different countries. What is the difference in breeds you see across countries oh huge um there are similarities though like you can normally look at a sheep and kind of determine its origins yes Uh, dare i say like there'll be some breeds like say a white faced sheep you can be like oh they've all come from the same ancestor um and similarly like scottish sheep and norwegian sheep can be quite similar um Mm -hmm. in many ways Interestingly enough, you can't import any live sheep into Norway. They're very strict on imports as well as antibiotics, only semen and embryos. And they've just started bringing blackies in. I've got a friend on the West Coast that's got a few blackies now. Um, And they're becoming a bit more popular as like a strong hill breed. Right. Um, And the main breed over here is an NKS, which is Norwegian white, uh, which is like a a combination breed. There is Chevy and Texel in there, along with a lot of Norwegian breeds. So that's you say, sorry, NKS. Yeah, so that's uh, uh, like uh, whenever I'm writing to farmers, what type of sheep do you have? A lot of them will just go NKS, which is short for Norsk Fit. It's right, okay. 
Yeah. So it's like a way of, I guess, like we would just say like a tex, texel. Um, right, good. Yeah. Just, just shortening it. Um, and then you've also got spells out, which are big Shetlands, I'd like to say. Okay. Uh, Vilsau, which are called wild sheep. They're more similar in Shetlands to size. Uh, there's also in Germany these German scooter sheep, which are my favorite yeah. sheep to shear it. They are absolute peelers. They're the size of lambs and they just ping. They're awesome. So you, they, you sent a few of them yesterday, didn't you? Is that the ones that are in the race? Yes, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. it. Um, so those were German, but then the angriest breed of sheep, anyone that's sheared in Norway will go, oh, Norwegian sheep are the angriest. But there's a breed called a Deutsch Schwarzkopf, and they look like Hampshire's. It stands German okay. blackface. And it, I mean, like in Norway, you'll get some angry ones, like one in three is bad. One in five is almost normal. Um, but I've never sheared a German blackface that will sit still. And it oh, doesn't matter what you do. They're just they're bred crazy they are absolutely <laughs> mental and they're huge you know hampshires so they're pretty oh, big yeah. um and in germany they have really big ears a lot of the breeds um she had a lot of milk sheep there most of italian sheep are milk sheep um yeah. and then bogomaskers have huge ears um and that's for really heat control um they don't drink that much as sheep really um they'll graze really dry land and i guess it's it's for heat control so um yeah, it's it's interesting where I go and seeing all these different breeds, similar with cows. Um, they're completely different in shape, size, meatiness, um, and also purpose. Like it's interesting, a lot of Europe will hold on to these dual purpose breeds. Yes. But England, you've kind of focused on one or the other. So it's uh, interesting to find out. Um, but I, I guess that's really what the whole travel appeals to me is I learn so much from so many different people and everyone's got a different opinion um, and different methods. And there is it like I learn how not to do things yeah. a whole lot more than I learn how to do things. But uh, it just it makes it a lot more rounded knowledge when approaching things. Um, and also like hacks when an animal is sick. Uh, I learned in Cumbria we had sheep break into a field with rhododendrons and yeah. uh, obviously that's very poisonous is this going to involve coffee by any chance no funny oh, enough oh. uh but they were none of them could walk and they looked dead and i had almost given up on them i was like this isn't good and we jammed them all still wasn't looking good and the old farm i was working with said whisk an egg put it into a corona bottle because it's glass and basically drenched them with it and three out of the five survived because it's that raw shock of protein into their system. I'd heard about it in lambs to get them going. You mix it into the milk, but I'd never heard about giving a ewe a raw egg and it gave them the energy and they were getting better and back on what's, their hip. What's the point of the Corona bottle? Uh, because it's glass, they can't chew on it when you drench them. Oh, you mean to drench them with that, right? Okay, got you. Yeah, so you put the, yeah. the raw egg in it and basically like there's a gap in the sheep's mouth where they don't have yeah. teeth. Yeah, yeah. you pop the bottle in there and then you can tip it up but if you use a plastic one they'll chew it it'll break and they'll get covered in egg and you oh, got you um and with drench guns you have to clean the drench guns it's a pain so, yeah, well, I, said, no, I, was, I was just trying to work through it i mean it, usually there's a corona bottle lying around it's got a nice Not long really. spout so it's it's handy um that i i do like those little hacks they're quite fun yeah uh, yeah that, that's a good one that's a really good one we we see a really bad one a mate of mine uh, unfortunately his whole uh, Highlander flock got in to uh, some roadies and it was like a, a notable amount like 40 50 type thing oh, no. and, uh, yeah um the, the thing uh, it was coffee 
Three things. Coffee, something and something. I'd have to find that book again, but uh, that's a good one to know. Whiskey egg, good one to know. Mm. Um, and you said you sort of, you love sort of travelling and learning. You can tell, like you, you're what, 24? Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and you've got such a, a diverse knowledge of sheep and cattle. It's quite impressive. Um, oh, it's very kind. I mean, no, it's, it's, it's as, as I say, it doesn't <laughs> always work to plan. Um, I sent you a few other stories of where I've had a few mishaps uh, along the way. Um, I, I guess the listeners will probably like to hear about a few of them. But uh, yeah, one feel, time, go for that one you said yesterday. That is a, a belter if you want to. I yeah, think. yeah. Uh, no, so <laughs> I was driving uh, from East Germany up to Norway, and I think it was a 28-hour drive in total, 28, 29. Um, so it's a long drive, and I, I'm well practiced at these drives. I know my limits, and I know how to keep going and when to stop. And uh, I managed to get to Denmark. Uh, I'd sheared the whole day as well, which hadn't helped. Um, and I stopped at a petrol station for a shower. Uh, and that's the other thing about Europe. Fantastic for showers at petrol stations. Costs about quid and you get a lovely shower so anyway stopped there carried on driving and funnily enough I got stopped by the cops uh and I'm not probably shouldn't say this they were um exporting cops in Germany and uh I was fine I had nothing in the back it was just me and my dog and she's fully papered and everything else and anyway though they pulled us over I saw the blue lights and I thought oh shit what, what can it be you know oh, sorry I'm not meant to spare on this oops anyway <laughs> Oh, that's good. Well, they pulled up and they the windows down, and she was on the passenger seat in this transit van, and she kind of climbed over because they were like, "Oh, dog!" and was stroking her, and I was like, "Oh yeah, just driving to Norway to shear sheep." Like, and then I had to show them a video of me shearing sheep because no one really believes it. For those that can't sure. see, I'm quite a small girl, so it's just yeah, people are like, "What?" Uh, so I showed the video, and they were like, "Oh, oh!" And then they were stroking my dog for probably about. 10 minutes you know and we were just saying I was like oh yeah she's six and she's from New Zealand and she's been to 20 countries now and she loves Germany Germany's great because all the farmers feed her bratwurst and things like that <laughs> so they were laughing and then I was like do you want to see in the back like nothing to hide and they're like oh no no it's okay you have such a lovely dog <laughs> so she's great and we carried on driving and that was that kind of put me on a high and I got to Denmark and I was like, oh, I could really do with a nap. Like I'm getting a bit sleepy now. So I thought oh, I'll pull over at the next services. And the service agents are great there because they have like services to the shops, but then they also have a lot of rest stops along the way um, that will just have toilet blocks in and then a huge car park. Mm. And uh, I went and I pulled into the next one along and uh, it was standard normal. It was dark. And I parked quite away from the toilet block because I thought I don't want to, you know, be interrupted by lights or other people. So I'll park here and I walked along and um, there were some people outside, which is a bit odd. And like at the picnic area, normally it's empty, but whatever. And I went to the stable toilet because it was the nearest one to where I was walking. And I was sat on the toilet, as you you do. And uh, the door, like, you know, when you hear that metal it was like in horror movies, completely silent, and then someone's trying to get in the door. I was thinking to myself, oh no, like, why is someone, trying... there's not going to be a disabled person that needs to pee at two in the morning, you know, like, this is, and there's three other disabled toilets, why have they chosen this one that's clearly locked? And I thought to myself, like, oh no, like, and then this is when this kind of sensible head goes on, and I'm like, right, you can't hesitate, this is action mode on. 
and uh, I was like right this is I've got to I've got to get out there and I've got to look strong so I had a hoodie uh, I finished wash my hands put my hood up and I was like right I've got to look like a man so I was like walking wider kind of like with my shoulders too open the door and there were these two guys there also with hoods on and I was like be tough like in my mind kind of like talking myself through it I kind of like swagging through them <laughs> and walked past them and then one of them started following me and I was like if I speed up now he's gonna run so I'll just like continue looking like I've shit myself probably just like walking back to the van in the dark and I was like walking a weird way so that I was in the light at least like so I avoided the dark patch I got back to the van straight away opened the door and called my dog out because I was like as usually if I've got a dog with me people don't mess with me I feel a bit safer <laughs> open this door and I'm like all right Jane all right go, go. get inside and this guy was like hanging around the back of my van and then he left and I was like okay is it safe and then this car the way that it was it was like a crescent so you entered here parked up toilets over here and then continued on and this car looped this goes the same car looped around probably about six times and I was thinking to myself like shit um I can't stay here you know this is not a good place to stop for the night to get any sleep um so I called the police because I was like come on if, if there's another girl maybe she's traveling she, she's gonna you know th- this could be a problem so I called the police and uh, like, oh okay where are you you know like we'll send someone out so I gave him the coordinates and he was like ah oh, well where you stopped is a known car park in Denmark for people to go for company in the night. It was a dogging car park. It was like a known dogging car park. And those men were looking for a bit of company in the night, as the cops had said. And I was just said like, oh, my God. And he was like, we'll send a patrol car out just to make sure everything's OK. But that's that's normal for there. Like, it, it happens. And I, I put it on my Snapchat because I thought it was hilarious. I was like only me would end up to try and sleep in the dogging car park of Denmark and I, I said to the cop on the phone I was like uh there's no others like this is there like am I gonna be okay and he looked along the motorway to, along my route and he was like oh the next one's fine that's not expected that you'll be all good so I managed to oh, I was buzzing so I carried on driving for a bit so that was a, a joy but uh it's yeah it's a it's a it's a bit of a story that and, and people listening were probably worried wondering at the start why I was laughing because it's not the nicest start to the story but no, I well to, I it's one of those where it was quite scary in the beginning yeah. it's uh yeah I mean there's uh been a few this year alone I was in Italy and uh we sleep in the vans in Italy and I was working with a gang of men very normal for sharing um and they decided to go for a party that night it was five other guys in vans each of their own and I was staying in this field and initially they have massive farms owned by the mafia in especially Toscana. Um, and I was staying in the middle of this farm and it was like a cornfield, big combine. And there was a little pond at the edge. So I was like, oh, it'd be nice and cool there. Park up. And I was brushing my teeth completely alone in the middle of the night. And my dog Jane starts growling. And I'm like, what's, what could it be? Like I, I literally in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, what, what, what on earth you know is there a guy here does he know that I'm by myself because when you're staying with five men you feel a bit you know like there's a team behind you yeah, yeah. but I was alone this night and I was thinking like I don't they're an hour away I, I don't even know if I can call anyone and she's like it's a really low growl 
and then she starts barking and Jane doesn't bark like she's probably barked three times this year it's she's a heading dog it's hunt away spark heading dogs do not yeah. and uh anyway she started going mental and I looked over and I saw this pair of green eyes and it was a pig and when I say it's a pig it's not like a oh you know pepper pig it's like a wild boar that kill people in Italy and I was just like halfway brushing my teeth like oh and I had a bottle of water obviously to rinse my mouth out mm-hmm. I picked up this bottle and threw it at the pig I was like fuck you you know like as loud as I could like what else do you do grab Jane by her threw her into the van and like both the front doors were open because I was getting stuff out for the night and I had the back open because I was about to jump in and sleep and uh, I threw her in and as I looked across because out of the pond one pig was there that was you know coming up to the van and eight others eight pairs of green eyes came out and started running towards me and like I was thinking they're gonna kill me they're gonna kill my dog they're gonna wreck the van and I just jumped in slammed the door shut and I was probably like hiding in there for about five minutes before I was brave enough to go out and luckily they did just run past the van I I just jumped out shut all the doors and then jumped back in I don't want to get out there again that was awful but in New Zealand my knife uh was given by an old shepherd uh is a pig hunting knife I was actually one of my best friends that gave it to me. And uh, she, uh, the knife was this big hunting knife. And I just have it in the back of the van. It's like a keepsake. And I actually got some tape and taped it to the door and then went and bought some kitchen knives that I taped to every door in my van in case the pigs came back. So, yeah, that was uh, one of those. That is pretty scary. Like, when you know there's no one to help and you're like, right, there's there's some... uh pigs that are known to kill people here boars that are known to kill people here and they're and they're aiming at me like that's not nice no but <laughs> it, it's it's one of those and i mean like as i say there's hundreds of these stories and i hope that i can put them in the blog and uh it's one of those of where to get all the good ones i have to go through some of the not so good ones yeah, like sure. car parks in denmark or random <laughs> fields and uh, there's all sorts and i mean like new zealand was amazing in so many ways but there was twice of where I was completely broke in New Zealand. And I just put a list of all the companies in the area that had the word agriculture on their website. And I called every single one of them, you know, just saying, this is what I can do for work, blah, 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 blah. And took three of them on as full-time jobs because I was like, one of them will have to pay me first and then I can get, you know, a bit of money for the next bit. And I think if you show yourself that you're willing to work and, you know, your mind is in the right place, then people will help you and like none of them knew I was broke but because I was like look I want to do this and this is what I can offer your company and blah 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 blah. I got offered plenty of positions part-time but I I need the full-time ones and I think it's just a lot of it is attitude if you have the right attitude people will want to help you succeed and yeah people also don't but we don't worry about them Um, and I think that's like the massive thing about anywhere overseas people in Italy hooked me up with so much work um German well everywhere because they sh- have seen that you know your your mind is in the right place so they want to help you onto the next step and um that was like in Germany people were like where do you want to go I was like oh anywhere so they got me to work in Austria and I was showing in Austria um and that's my biggest advice to anyone is that there's opportunities in everything and everyone it's just finding them um, oh that's good that's really good do you know, it's funny, you said you'd watch some of these, uh, Rachel, there's two questions at the end. You've kind of just answered one, which is perfect. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you ever watched to the end of any, but um, 
first off, it's been, I mean, we only really touched base about three days ago or something like that. And uh, it's probably the quickest I've ever arranged the podcast, but it's been brilliant. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, we could we, no, you're, you're the type of person that you talk about being in the pub quite often. I'd love to sit down and just have a chat with all the stories. Maybe some of them <laughs> maybe aren't for this podcast. I think it would be fair to say, given you say there's some worse than the ones you already said. So uh, yeah, it'd be... yeah, maybe. But I'd love a trip <laughs> up to Aaron, so uh, definitely we'll make it happen. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, um, I don't, I don't live on Aaron anymore, but I am always, always uh, up for a journey back home. Oh, um, sorry, I got myself. No, 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 no. I, we still have the farm there. I'm just, I've just moved away. Uh, so I'm not far away, but um, I'm just, just in. Well, do you know Dumfries? Don't know if you. Know. Yes, I'm going yeah. Like. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I'm, I'm I sure. used to. Uh, I worked just outside a bigger. That's where Barney stays. So I lived oh, yeah. Barney for that one. Of course, yes. Yeah, so. so you've driven past. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's two questions we ask at the end. You have just answered one of them, which is a few tips for folk getting into farming. What would they be? Um, but the second one, and this could be quite an interesting answer for someone like yourself, because. Uh, might have bumped that number 20 up to three figures given the, the rate at which you've been traveling so far um where do you see yourself in five years don't know the country um i like to say everything's in pencil until it's in pen so physically where don't know um but where in terms of challenges i'd like to still be meeting people um learning about different cultures i think is really important but in five years time I'd really like to see myself but I'd like to see UK agriculture in a different perspective publicly um, okay. from now on um, and in terms of something down and things like that for me personally is who knows but uh, in five years time I think for the UK is is going to be um, hopefully a much better place of farmers I think with, is what I'd like to end on. You're obviously you're obviously sort of UK's home but it seems like you're quite settled in Norway at the minute. I know you're obviously travelling around, but do you see see Norway? Uh, well, when people ask where do I live, I say Norway because I'm here for seven months of the year, usually. However, I'm going to Canada in February. So that's well, my... Be. Yeah, and it's I'm doing the classic one-way ticket. We'll see how it goes. So in five years' time, I don't know. Is the answer? I could be not quite anywhere, but yeah, who knows? Probably not Russia, but hopefully in five years it'll be a bit safer. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, for now. I on February the answer will be different, and we'll see from then on. I've, um, I've yet to hear a bad word about Canada to travel. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. The original plan was Canada before COVID, but then when COVID happened, it shut down. And yeah. I just had to come to Norway because it was the only place that would let me in. Um, yeah, God, it's, it's a good thing now. But I think that's another thing just to touch on, though, is, is just adapting to everything. Um, everything's in pencil until it's in pen, not only countries, but like almost week to week. It's like, what should we do this week? And where should we work? And I'm so, so lucky and grateful to all my friends all over like I'm driving back through Germany and I know that there'll be work for me and if I haven't got it through my friends they'll have found it for me with other people and it's having this whole mindset and I'm so lucky because I'm not so good at necessarily shouting my own praises and abilities in terms of agriculture but then I'll have other people that will say oh you need a tractor driver yep yeah, she'll come and do it you know and yep yeah, she'll be fine 
when I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, and okay. And I, I maybe would hold back a bit um, on certain aspects. So I'm incredibly lucky to know the people that I do. Um, and yeah, all, all cool off to them because I wouldn't be where I am literally and mentally without them. So yeah, thank you to that. I think you're right about saying that you maybe don't, I can't remember exactly what you said there, but maybe credit yourself enough because, yeah, you are in a lucky position to have met these people, but you've went out and done that and you've went out and proved yourself. So so give yourself credit in that sense. And and you clearly are trusted in, in everything that you do because you've done it in so many places. And oh. yeah, give yourself a bit more credit. I feel like I, I'm very bad for giving myself no credit, but it sounds like you are too. So so try and take more credit for, for you. what you clearly oh, it's, do. It's- it's one of those where it's easy to say I'm very lucky because I was in the right place at the right time and I saw the right opportunity. But to see that opportunity is about mindset and it, yeah, it's something that I can't teach as such. I can advise, but to be able to go, oh, you know, maybe that person knows da 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 da. Or sometimes you don't even think that you're just having a chat with someone like yourself now, um, and uh, an opportunity will come up and they'll remember you from something you said and, and get in touch with you through that. So it's, yeah, mindset is a lot of it and I'm not perfect. Definitely don't get it right all the time, but we can always just do our best. Yeah, who has a very refreshing, happy-go-lucky outlook. So it's very, it's, it's, it's nice it's nice to see. Um, and it's been great to chat for probably, what is an hour and a half now? Well over an hour and a half. It's been great fun. Um, I fair enjoyed it. I love, I love where... You better get back to the World Cup. No, here, I've, I've got hours. I've got hours. Just watch. Oh, sorry. You put, put a lot in this. Honestly, <laughs> no, watch instead. <laughs> Cut it out. Edit it out. It'll be fine. <laughs> um yeah, it's been really good to really good to sort of break down break down the story, and I'm sure this is the type of person that we could have spent, as I say, five or six hours talking to, and we'd still be sitting having a chat then. Um, but I hope you've also enjoyed listening, guys. I hope it's been a, I hope it's been another interesting story, as as I know it has been. Next week, as I said, we had Ben Cross. Now, I'm not going to say his Instagram name because. I mean, I'll try. It's a type of flower, from what I understand. I think it's Alstomeria Ben. But mum, if you're listening, I've probably butchered it. I'm sorry, Ben. If you're listening, I've probably butchered it. I'm sorry. But as I said, we'll be speaking to him about uh, flowers. He's in flower farming. That's wrong. Flower growing. Let's say, in case I'm wrong. Um. So yeah, as I said, I'll be very much out of my depth. Not a clue what uh, what Ben's talking about. At least today, I knew what a blackie was. So that was fun. Um. But Rachel, thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Yeah, massively. Thanks so much for having me on. Good, and we'll keep in touch. And if you want to follow Rachel's story, it's The Global Farm Heart on Instagram. And what's the name of the blog? Is it the same name? Yeah, same name on Facebook, website, everything. Yeah, so check out The Global Farm Heart to follow her million journeys around the country and maybe some of the fun ones that we didn't manage to get into today. And we'll see you next week for R2Cast number 76. See you later on. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2Cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, Aplan Rural. If you follow Aplan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside Aplan Rural so far and long may it continue. The values of Aplan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at Aplan Rural and on Facebook at Aplan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.